I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of Rackant and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This is a one-on-one interview with Tim Davis from MVZero. And in this, we talked about GitOps and infrastructure as code and scaling your team's ability to write automation. Uh, and these are critical, critical things about taking DevOps to the next level. And we really dig into what the challenges are and how you can do better as you build a integrated infrastructure system. And of course, we did talk about M0 and how M0 solves the problem. Um, and you will learn a lot about M0 during this podcast too. One thing that I do think is worth talking about is, is Tim and I did discuss what it takes to build real infrastructure automation pipelines. Check out this little snippet. Jenkins is all well and good for doing what Jenkins does, but you know there are Terraform modules for it, but they're mm-hmm. very bad. Um, <laughs> we have customers that are legitimately taking us and they're doing all of their CI and everything in Jenkins. They're firing off API calls to us to do the CD. Mm-hmm. And then once we're done, we're packaging up all those outputs and shipping them back and you know finalizing the pipeline. So it's one of those things where we can kind of take over a small piece of the CI/CD pipeline because we're purpose built for that infrastructure as code deployment pipeline, and then just kind of kick it over and finish off because because of the fact that we don't do the CI and the application level stuff. Um, that's you know really something where you need a t- you can't really pull a tool like that out for us because we don't do it. So that is the type of, of conversation we were having in wrap-up. Uh, imagine just how good the conversation we had while the mics were live. Enjoy it. Hello, Tim, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, before we get rolling, can you give us, you know, introduce yourself and, and give us some background on what you're doing with M0? Absolutely. So I'm the uh, DevOps advocate, which is kind of in the realm of DevRel. Um, you know, and M0 is doing infrastructure as code automation, and DevRel means a lot of things to a lot of people. But really, I do a lot of community engagement, technical marketing, um, tiny bit of product marketing, and things of that nature. Excellent. And you're a fan like me of the Austin DevOps days. Hopefully, returning. I am a huge soon. fan, uh, and in fact, out of all of the conference or you know whatever shirts that I've ever gotten, I believe it was the 2019 with the you know the purple shirt with the the skull logo on it. That is one mm-hmm. of my favorite shirts ever. I love that logo. They they are they they do it right. I have a lot of say. So shout out to the the DevOps days Austin crowd for leading the way on, on content and also uh, <laughs> merch and Dotskis. Oh boy. So infrastructure's code automation is near and dear to my heart and something we focus on a lot. Um, just let's, let's build this up a little bit. Um, infrastructure is code. What, what's the, mm-hmm. how do you define infrastructure as code? Why should somebody care? Infrastructure as code these days, I mean, it's extremely important. It's kind of the next evolution of infrastructure. Yeah, I'm a reformed infrastructure admin, and, you know, I used to just Mm. click around and create infrastructure, you know, right-clicking on templates and spinning up VMs. And these days, with agile development processes, with DevOps becoming what it is, that's just really not the way you do things anymore. You're really trying to fit infrastructure operations into development life cycles and using development tools um, like Git and CICD pipelining tools and other things like that. Um, And really the way to do that is 
by turning it into code and making sure that you have kind of your single source of, source of truth as it is inside of Git of what your infrastructure is supposed to look like. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. It, it's an interesting challenge, though, because even though you want it to be a lot like code, infrastructure itself has complexities that, you know, because you don't know, you know, things happen in infrastructure. Exactly in right. So, so how does how does that map into, you know, an infrastructure and a DevOps space? Uh, it really, to me, infrastructure as code is the it's the perfect illustration of what DevOps actually is. Um, you know, a lot of folks think that DevOps is just giving developers the tools to do infrastructure themselves, um, or it's infrastructure people that are just starting to automate stuff. And that's really not the case. I mean, it is a true melding of dev and ops. And infrastructure as code, in order to be really successful, at least in my opinion, it requires the expertise of both. Developers know how to do developer things. Infrastructure mm -hmm. folks know how to do infrastructure things. Bringing those two groups together to collaborate uh, really can help you kind of avoid a lot of those pitfalls that come along with not only infrastructure things, but also with you know code things. Makes sense. And one of the things that I've seen with people is that they do a ton of automation, right? I mean, we've, mm -hmm. you know, we, we know Terraform is, is sort of a de facto tool with this, uh, you know, Ansible too. They're certainly not the only tools and they, they have ways to do a degree of automation in this, but right. I don't think of those as particularly developer friendly or developer style tools. It doesn't feel like I'm writing code necessarily when I'm, I'm using those platforms. Right. And, you know, writing the code itself may not necessarily be, but it's the way that we're kind of putting that together, making it into our automation processes, because you're not just writing the code, you're, you know, checking it into Git and putting it where it needs to go. You are executing that and building the right infrastructure. But at the same time, you're not just writing code to say, oh, I need this, this and this. You have to kind of know exactly what you need to build you know, optimizing your infrastructure, making sure that your cost optimized, performance optimized and everything like that. It, it's it's really a lot. It is still infrastructure building. You're just doing it in a new way. Makes sense. And and you used Git a couple of times. You know, is this, you know, is infrastructure as code GitOps or is, you know, what's, where, does, <laughs> where, does, where does the concept of GitOps fit into this? Absolutely. And, you know, GitOps is one of those things that I hear constantly and I hear it used poorly constantly. <laughs> uh, you know, putting your infrastructure's code files into Git is not GitOps. GitOps specifically can be boiled down to infrastructure updates by pull request. So, you know, actually going through the Git methodology and going through while also shifting a lot of, you know, things like performance testing and stuff like that left into the deployment so that it's all part of a development type cycle of keeping yourself up to date, trying to mitigate issues like drift and also making sure mm. that you're not deploying anything that's either insecure or over budget or anything like that. Okay, so that's super overloaded, right? I, I've seen GitOps used as, oh, we have a gate and we're using Git as yep. our gate control mechanism, which <laughs> development wise, that makes a ton of sense. It does. Um, but yeah, I've watched people who get really excited about like, oh, I've put my Terraform plan in Git. And when I check in a change to it, it's a whole bunch of stuff happens after the fact. Um, right. That strikes me as actually potentially unsafe. Yeah, things change outside there's of that. There's a lot going on with that. Okay. Um, you know, 
if you're using Git as your single source of truth, that's great. That's a great way of doing things. But at the same time, if you've got other people that are jumping into the UI in the cloud and clicking around and adding things or changing things, huh. you're kind of messing with the single source of truth there. <laughs> it's not an if, that's you do. <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, single source of truth is is the people who who believe they have one. It's that's the biggest. I, I like to pop people's bubble on that. <laughs> uh, you do more harm with that 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 expectation than anything else. So, right, I, I can I can see there's there's more here. One of the things that I guess you implied, and I would I would pull forward is when we're dealing with automation, it's not just the state file that has to get versioned, mm -hmm. it's actually the automation itself that we're running. We have to know what's what's running and how, you know, if, if somebody's changed the automation, how do you, I mean, how do we deal with this this idea? It's like, oh, look, I fixed how my server gets deployed and, or, you know, and so mm -hmm. you fix a bug in your automation, you have to roll that out in a consistent way too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, figuring out, who did what, where, and when, and why, and everything like that is one of the largest problems that come about when you mm -hmm. do start automating the infrastructure as code processes. I mean, it's all well and good when you have one person that starts to do it on their laptop and you know is deploying what they need to deploy in real small shops with like either a single sysadmin or a developer that's doing it. That's fine. But as soon as you try to scale that to even two people or more, you start to lose visibility. If that state file is stored on so-and-so's laptop and they leave, where's your state file? If so-and-so deploys something, somebody else needs to deploy something else, but they don't know what's deployed out there, what variables may have been used, you know, or anything like that, you don't know. So bringing together tools that are kind of combining these processes, making sure that your automation is consistent, that it's auditable, uh, these are things that are extremely important these days. That's actually kind of what we're doing at M0. I was about to ask you, I, was, I think this might be a good place for, for you to explain what M0 is doing. <laughs> um, I think we, we yeah. talked through some of this problem statement, but I, I would love to hear, you know, what is M0 and, and how are you, you in, this, in this space? Sure. Um, and we are a a funny you know term that was coined a tacos platform a terraform automation collaboration software um, and really what this is oh, is there's place there's people like us there's scalar there's terraform cloud uh, there's spacelift we're all kind of doing the same thing um, we can or we get lumped into either the cicd or the cloud management platform space a lot because we do help you to manage scale and automate your deployments but we are all hyper-focused on infrastructure as code. Now, a lot of our competitors are doing just Terraform, and Terraform is a first-class citizen with us. But at M0, we're focused on any kind of infrastructure as code. You want to do Terraform or TerraGrant? Perfect. You want to do CloudFormation or ARM or Pulumi? Great. You can do that too. Uh, so it's just one of those things where we know that you know, using a CI/CD platform like a Jenkins or something like that is fine, and you absolutely can deploy your Terraform with it. But that pipeline run isn't going to care about the overall life cycle of that deployment. It doesn't care what happens after the pipeline is run. All of these tacos platforms are really concerned not just with the deployment, but with all this, also the day two plus operational things all the way from deploy to destroy. Interesting. So 
From your perspective, does the infrastructure then have a life cycle outside of sort of Terraform creating it and destroying it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as far as Terraform is concerned, it just throws something out there. It makes a little state file so that it knows what's there for later, and then it moves on. If you need to run the apply again, it checks that state file. It makes the changes that it needs to, and then it goes on until you run the destroy. Um, overall, it's not really concerned with what's happening day to day. And that's really where these Tacos platforms come in handy. Interesting. So what would that look like? So a machine, we just, you just show up with your own Terraform file or do you, do you begin life earlier than that? So actually with us, we get this question a lot of, hey, so I have this stuff. You can help me make Terraform out of it. And that's not the case. <laughs> um, okay. As soon as you have your, your infrastructure as code files, you have them in a repository, that's really where our stuff starts. Because when we create, exam for an example, at M0, we create what's called the template, where you point us at your repository that has your files in it. And then we'll take that template and allow you to deploy that out. You can okay. decide who in your team has the ability to deploy, who has the ability to approve deployments, how many deployments they can make. So if you want to say, enable developer self-service or anything like that, that's something that our platform can help with. But it all kind of starts with you already having your infrastructure as code files ready to go in a repo somewhere. Gotcha. And then, you know, Terraform is really just the, you know, the resource manager from that perspective. How how do you then bring something about af after that? How do you, you know, get a server configured or you know a cluster built? That's a perfect question. And a lot of those is where your configuration management as code and things like that, such as your Ansibles, your chefs, your puppets, and all of that kind of come up. A lot of the folks are utilizing our platform for deployments and then going through and running that stuff extraneously after the fact. Uh, our secret sauce is that we have the ability to drop a YAML file in that repository and add steps after the deployment. So we'll go through and run that Terraform apply and go through and deploy that infrastructure then once that's done, we'll pull the outputs, say the IP address or the cluster connectivity information for Kubernetes or whatever you need to access it. We'll then take that and allow you to run commands against whatever infrastructure you need so that if you do need to run an Ansible playbook or something like that, you can do that right there during the deployment process. Interesting. And then you had mentioned earlier some of like the cost, cost optimization, cost accounting. Um, I've yep. seen some multi-cloud managers that focus, you know, that that is, <laughs> seems like it's a, a full product category in its own. Absolutely, you know, it is. Yeah. Do, do you then hand off to a, a, cost, a cloud cost tracking thing, or is that what you consider part of the M0 story? Well, so we kind of, we do a lot, I think. Um, we have two different cost processes when it comes to handling cost management. Um, all of our competitors, including us, do cost estimation during deployment. The problem with estimation is that if you're using usage-based resources like Lambda functions or something like that, there's mm. really no good way to estimate that. So it's not really going to give you a full picture of what's deployed. It just gives you a kind of a rough idea. Now, the other side of that coin that our competitors are not doing is actual cost usage after the deployment. So with us, we're actually running a open source module that we created and open sourced during the deployment called TerraTag. That's going to go through and recursively check all of your infrastructure as code files for taggable resources. It's gonna tag them out in your cloud provider. And then once 
you give us read-only access into your billing API, we'll go and scrape those tags and be able to tell you every single deployment, this is how much it's actually costing you this week, month, quarter, or what have you. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, so is the, that the next something step that, of that? Because yeah. you, you did ask about handing off. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you you okay. asked about handing off, and that's kind of one of those things where we go through and we'll tell you what we think it's going to cost to deploy, so that you can make the right decision on whether to approve it. We'll then tell you what it's actually costing you. But the optimization piece is really where experts come in. So this is where you would need mm. something like a cloud health or something of that nature to tell you, hey, you have all this stuff deployed. We could help save you money if you were to say change to a reserved instance or change this type of database or what have you. I see. Okay. Yeah. I I forget how complex cloud infrastructure is that just picking a different type of resource when you go through that model or a different billing structure around that resource would be dramatic. And that's why there's entire companies out there, such as like Duckbill Group with Corey Quinn that are out there, you know, making a name for themselves just by helping people save money on their cloud bill. Uh, it makes a ton of sense to me. And then do you find that when people have gone down the process for, and actually this might be a good place to you know, sort of give a, a typical customer story or the process that people mm-hmm. go to adopt, but do, do, do they then improve the, 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 how often they automate? What What's a successful, what do you see people doing that you would consider successful for an MD, M0 user? Absolutely. So for us, our ideal customer is going to currently be deploying locally. They're starting to run into scaling problems or visibility problems with that. They're going to onboard. They're going to start, you know, just centralizing their deployments on our platform, gaining visibility, maybe adding a little role-based access control. The, uh, the kind of customer nirvana as it was is for us is self-service where you can have governed self-service. You can allow your developers or infrastructure folks or whomever needs to make deployments to just go in, find the template that they want, deploy it out to whatever cloud they want, and they're good to go. Interesting. So when when there, there's two things. One is when you say deploy locally, this is the, the classic migration from a Terraform on my desktop at the CLI level into a shared service that something else is running that plan for me. Right or running exactly the Ansible, right. Ansible run for me. Okay. Um, yeah. Sometimes when I hear deployed locally, I think of like on-premise or self-managed colo infrastructure. Um, and and yeah, this, that ma- this, that makes sense. Yeah. Th- to me, this is one of the challenges that that make those tools amazing, and also challenging in that these local deploys are, um, you know, super powerful, but. And, and easy to get started, but then they don't scale as as well uh, from that perspective. We actually see that a lot with, you know, smaller shops or newer shops that are just kind of, you know, sticking their foot in the water with infrastructure as code. It's usually just one person that is like, I am having to do all of this work, you know, that we call it click ops, where you're having to go in and deploy stuff. They're having to do that manually. They're just trying to automate their own job and save themselves some time. And that's when they start doing infrastructure as code and saying, hey, look, now I have these files. I do a Terraform apply and it gives me all this stuff and saves me a bunch of time. And then once that kind of catches on and they realize, oh, I need my team to start doing this, that's when they start to run into those you know, scaling issues. And this to me is one of the things that's really worth coming back to. Like infrastructure as code 
in part to me, and, and this is always the over, one of the most overlooked parts of infrastructure as code is reuse and shared modules yes. and things like that. How how exactly do you right. see people? Right, because I mean, this is this is where the Terraform stuff, like, oh yeah, hey, you have a plan that does it, but if your plan sets things up in ways that don't comply with what corporate directives are, and there's no way to enforce it. Yep then you've actually created a bigger mess. You saved yourself some time, but you've created a potentially much bigger mess. <laughs> and there's what actually is, a couple is, of different layers to that as well. Please. For sure. With Terraform itself, when it comes to just reuse specifically, this is where that, how I kind of mentioned that it, it really helps if you bring developers and infrastructure together for this. There's a developer methodology of dry or don't repeat yourself. You, you code modules and other reusable bits of code and then essentially inject variables into that code so that even though it's the same module, you can deploy it over and over and over without kind of stepping on other deployments. Hmm. So that's one of those things that you can really do. You can use private module registries, or you can just build your code in a mono repository structure with a bunch of different subfolders of your modules. There's lots of different ways that you can go about that so that you don't have to keep rewriting your code over and over to deploy the same thing with different, you know, maybe either IP addresses or different teams or different versions. So you yeah. can always solve that. The next level to that is what you were talking about with, I guess, policy, so to speak. So you're talking about kind of corporate structure and the way things should be done. Not only is there infrastructure as code, there's also policy as code. So take either open policy agent or Sentinel by HashiCorp. These allow you to code policy into your deployments so that you can take all of your corporate rules and code them into the deployment. So say if you have a Kubernetes cluster, they're only allowed to have one, two, or three nodes, or they're only allowed to be deployed to a specific region. You can code those policy checks to where people are allowed to go deploy whatever they want, but it's also going to run a quick check and say, oh, this is trying to deploy to US West. I'm only allowed to deploy to the East and it'll cancel that out until they fix it. That strikes me as, as great and horrible at the same time. It's a lot. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a lot. And that's, that's very next level. Um, a lot of the folks that start using policy as code, they start taking it up a notch. That's usually the problem that's solved by the folks that are trying to enable self-service portals. Because you want the you want to kind of pull the the you know the guardrails out. You want to give them the ability to do what they want without having to come ask for it every time. But you also want to make sure that while you're taking the guardrails out, you're also keeping them on still. Because you want to make sure that they're still sticking to your set assigned rules while still having the freedom to do what they need to do. Yeah, and that's that's where to me the automation, you know, being able to describe. These, this automation, this infrastructure is code in a modular way. Uh, still is still is not very complete. I mean, maybe M zero has. Do you have a story on on how you help somebody? You know, a, a platform team build. You know, sort of the the reusable parts of this automation, and then and then make that available as as building blocks. How does how does that fit together? Yeah, and that's you know that's stuff conversations that we have all the time. Unfortunately, we do not currently have a private module registry that some other folks do. Um, we are working on that. That will be out very very soon. But we have worked with our customers just because of our knowledge of infrastructure as code, the fact that we use it ourselves. We've been able to help the customers kind of 
work through their problems of say having four different sets of the same files that just have different hard coded mm -hmm. values to changing those hard coded values into variables and just having one set of files. That's kind of the first step. And then from there, you can take a giant set, one set of files and break that down into sub-modules that can be more easily deployed. So it's kind of like going from monolithic architecture to microservice architecture just with the files that you're writing. That makes a lot of sense. Is there a, is there a pattern? If, if somebody was starting this journey, they've got, you know, they've got their um, house of cards with Terraform, maybe some Ansible scripts. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Bash connecting all that stuff together. What's what's a good path for people to look at at cleaning this up and getting getting their getting you know from that to infrastructure as code? Yeah, I mean a lot of that's generally just folks playing around. Um, uh, most of the time, Terraform files. If you're just starting out, you're going to hard code those values in just because you're playing. You don't necessarily understand or you don't want to use. The variable injection architecture kind of all depends on what they're doing and who's doing it. If it's a developer, a lot of times they'll just take that dry methodology because that's what they do every day and they'll you know run with it and it'll turn out a lot better. When the infrastructure mm -hmm. folks are starting it, they don't necessarily understand that methodology. So everything's hard coded and they just kind of start a couple of steps back. That makes sense. So what would make somebody who's walking into M0 for the first time you know, what would you, I, we, we have this with some of our customers too. It's like, oh, this person's going to be, you know, race through and be super successful. What is, what does that person look like to you? How do, how do you know? Um, so with us, we actually have the ability, you know, we have, we have it set up to kind of walk you through what the onboarding process is as close to zero touch as possible. The, when mm. we figure out somebody's going to go fast is when we start seeing in the back end of the system, this person signed up, this person created an organization, this person, you know, created a project, this person created templates, this person deployed, and we've never actually spoken to them. That's when we know they've got their stuff together, they kind of know what they're doing, and they just kind of jump off. A lot of times, people that reach out to us with questions are folks on the newer side that are trying to figure out how all of this works. And that's usually when it kind of naturally comes up of, oh, it looks like you've hard-coded these values. If we swap those out to variables, you can use this template over and over versus only using it one time. Uh, so it kind of works itself out naturally for if we need to help a customer or if there's input that we can give to make it a little smoother. Uh, it just depends usually on if they reach out or if they answer one of you know my emails saying, hey, what brought you here? Makes a lot of sense. Um... And when you, you use the phrase template or word template a bit, I'm assuming that means something specific in M0 speak. What is, what is a template? What does it look like? Yeah, so for us, a template is whichever repository you have your files set in, we create what's called a template that we can then use to make deployments. And with that, for us, a template could be something with those hard-coded values that you'll only be able to deploy once. Because if you try to deploy it again, Terraform will just tell you, hey, there's something already <laughs> out there with this name. If right. you've got it set up with the variable values, we have the ability to deploy that template out in as many different projects with as many different you know, environments as you would like. Um, that's something that sets us apart a little bit from, say, Terraform Cloud with the workspaces construct, where they don't have the ability to you know, easily clone or deploy multiple workspaces from the same repository. 
Oh, interesting. That makes sense. And then would would you expect somebody to take those templates and check them into Git, or is that part of what gets managed in your system? So with us, a template is actually a Git repository. So oh, nice. you actually already need that process done before you can create the template from it. Because we don't actually store those files. You just point us at your source code provider and tell us which repository you'd like us to use. Oh, that is very infrastructure as code-like. So from that perspective. Uh, and this is one of the things I like yes. about, about, you know, uh, tools that do infrastructure as code to me. And I've, I've actually, was, I, I did a talk about this not too long ago. It's like the tools should reinforce infrastructure as code behaviors right from the start. So exactly uh, right. Yeah, this is, it's funny. I was, we, we try to I, make it as easy as possible to enable the correct, uh, well, I guess I don't want to say correct because like the term, you know, best practice is kind of neither mm -hmm. here nor there based on the design, but we kind of enable what you would think of as best practice for a proper GitOps style automation workflow. That makes sense to me. I, the, the way I usually see it is not as much, you know, there's, I, I do think there's better practices um, from that mm -hmm. perspective, but the, the tools that people are using in, in these DevOps constructs should reward things that, you know, drive you to Git, drive you to immutable infrastructure, drive you to, you know, scalable patterns uh, rather than, you know, reward right. you for doing things ad hoc. Exactly That's right. It, it definitely can reward you for, you know, building it in a repeatable way because then you'll be, you know, very easily be able to say, oh, these five developers need a deployment of the same environment, of course, with different variables and things like that, but they all need to do testing on their own features. Well, if your templates are set up with hard-coded values, you can't do that. You're going to have to create multiple templates with different hard-coded values. If you have that template set up with, you know, variableized infrastructure, then all you have to do is create a new deployment with all different variables and you're good to go. It'll save you a whole lot of time and headache. That makes a lot of sense. So, Tim, this has been really, really helpful. We've gone through a ton of tips and ways that you know people should be thinking about infrastructure as code. I just on the on the simple, like, how does somebody get started with M zero, and and if they wanted to play, what what do you suggest they do? Absolutely. If you go to M zero E N V and the number zero dot com. We have the ability to jump into the app for free and check it out. We have a, a great freemium tier. Uh, where you can have multiple users, you can have role-based access control, you can deploy several environments to manage. So please feel free to come in, check it out, um, and see what we've got going on. Excellent. Tim, I, I appreciate the time. I love talking about infrastructure as code. Um, I, I, you know, GitOps, I think, is is one of those terms that gets everybody's uh, heart going a little bit, maybe for love, <laughs> maybe for hate. Um, and I, I think you've done a good job sort of helping us clarify that a little bit. Uh, really appreciate the time. Hey, thank you oh. so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you at a, uh, a DevOps Days event here soon. Oh, I, I really hope so. And and for you personally, how, how would somebody mm -hmm. get in touch with you if they, they wanted to reach out or ask you questions or, you know? Oh, for sure. My best way of getting a hold of me is at VTimD on Twitter. Uh, I have email, I have phone, but I will probably answer Twitter before I answer either of the others. <laughs> <laughs> I have the same bad habit. Excellent. All right, Tim, thank you so much for being on the show, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again in the future. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. Uh, we love having these deep one-on-one -on -one conversations 
They really highlight issues and ideas that we talk about during our weekly sessions. And if you want to participate, please contact me uh, at Zeehicle on Twitter or uh, Rob at, Z at RackN by email or join us at the2030.cloud and participate in our weekly conversations. Looking forward to talking to you there. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.